Welcome to the Greenhouse Podcast, hiring for what's next. In each episode, we'll meet people at the forefront of hiring. In this series, we'll talk about hiring maturity, which is how companies move through different stages as they get better at hiring. Greenhouse president and co-founder John Strauss sits down with talent leaders to discuss their hiring maturity journeys. We'll hear how they did it and what they're focusing on now to be ready to hire for what's next for their companies. They'll share advice to help your team get better at hiring. And now, let's pass it over to John. Hi there, welcome to the podcast. This is John Strauss, co-founder and president of Greenhouse. And my guest today is Brian Breath from FAIR. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. Hey, John. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And also congratulations on the new addition to your family. Thank you so much. Our little girl is two and a half months now. You may hear her in the background. <laughs> we will look forward to it. Yeah, thanks. For anybody who's unfamiliar, tell us about your company. And uh, yeah, I'll start from there. Sure. Yeah, happy to. So FAIR, we are a fintech or financial technology company. We have an app where you can find a used car. And what that does is, uh, especially now where you know we have people who are very much interested in contactless transactions, you know, you can get a, you can get a car, sign for a car all on your phone uh, and have it delivered to you. And you can either go month to month or you could sign up for terms. Hmm. I might be a customer of this very shortly. Um, in any case, stay focused. <laughs> focus, John. <laughs> I know, I know. So, so you've led recruiting at Fair, but also at a number of other really cool companies. What was your journey? How did you get to recruiting leadership? Uh, well, so uh, around two thousand, I would say it's around two thousand twelve. I had been working as a, an, an HR manager for a digital surveillance company in downtown Los Angeles. And uh, I had just left there. And for probably about a, a year afterwards, or the better part of a year afterwards, uh, I was consulting. And then I got referred to uh, a, an ad tech startup uh, uh, by a guy I knew, uh, and they were looking to hire a recruiting leader there. Uh, and the company was a Rubicon project. And um, when I joined, uh, beginning of 2013, uh, they had about 233 employees. They'd been around for about six or seven years at that point. Um, and I was the first like real internal uh, uh, recruiting talent that they had hired. Uh, and they, they hired me. Uh, I hired a, uh, we hired a tech uh, recruiter. And, um, uh, you know, we went public about 14 months after that. So it was really brought on to own the function and also uh, really scale the company to go public and then through the growth period that they had afterwards. And that was, that was, uh, that was my first real TA leadership role. Wow. And had you done recruiting ever before that or just HR stuff? Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I, I started recruiting in 2000. Uh, I, got, I got my start in agency. Uh, and then I kind of went back and forth between agency and in-house roles, uh, for about, you know, for about 10 years almost. And then, uh, when I, when I landed at Rubicon project, I've just stayed in TA and stayed in TA leadership since. 
Wow. And, and, and I remember after Rubicon, you did uh, Riot Games, yes? Yeah, I went from, so I was at Rubicon for about four and a half years, and then I went to Riot Games, uh, and I, uh, I uh, headed up the team uh, for Worldwide Publishing. And uh, so there, um, I uh, supported uh, basically Central Publishing, which was their headquarters, and then uh, the uh, the regional teams in North America and uh, Southeast Asia and China. Wow, neat! It was a lot okay. of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a different experience because going from uh, you know uh, owning it all, you know, just all of it and Apex and all that stuff to uh, you know Riot Games where. Uh, when I joined, it was a very large, it was probably the largest TA team that I've been on to date. You know, we had about 54 people uh, and we had a defined, uh, you know, recruiting operations function uh, and there were distinct teams uh, across the organization. And so uh, that, that were siloed, they were all siloed. Uh, so it was a very decentralized org. And after I joined, um, you know, there was this push to really centralize the function. Well, I think this is why you're a perfect guest for this podcast is that the theme, well, no, the theme of it is the idea of hiring maturity is that, is that companies go through this uh, maturation process. And I think you've seen companies at different points of the journey. Um, as, as you say, like when you get to the size of Riot, you're going to have a dedicated operations team. You're going to have totally different teams and some that have totally different processes than the others versus other companies like probably Rubicon project when you started where it's more like, you know, your first TA leadership and you're kind of building stuff from scratch. Yeah. I mean, it was really, it was kind of, right. Yo, totally. It's two different planets because, you know, I think about, I think back about it now, you know, and it's, it's weird how the universe works because when I joined Rubicon project, Rubicon project was on the very West LA lot that riot games ended up going into and building their campus. Oh, small world. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. But like what was interesting about uh, Rubicon Project was six months after I joined, we moved to Playa Vista right near the uh, in the Fox building near the YouTube studios. And at that point, like Playa Vista was nothing. There was like they were breaking ground on stuff. But a lot of what you see, the majority of what you see there today was not there. Right. And I, and I kind of think that that's metaphorically, that's really what Rubicon was like in terms of the recruiting function. It, like there was just nothing. So I, you know, I had to break, I had to break ground and really start from scratch there. Whereas well, Riot. We'll, yeah. But let's, I, let's dive into that then. Cause I think for a sure. lot of people, that's what resonates, right? Is you join some company and it's wild west. You've got a couple of recruiters running around with their hair on fire, doing their best to keep up. And you're like, this is whatever we're doing now is not going to scale. I got to build some foundations here. So how did, so I guess, what did it look like when you got there? How bad was it? And like, what did, what are the things that you did to try so to start it, moving up the curve? Yeah. Yeah. So at Rubicon, uh, it, you know, it was definitely a, a baptism by fire because I had never gone public with a company before either. So I had no idea uh, the, the speed at which we were going, we were going to be moving. And so, uh, when I got in there, when I joined, uh, I got hired by the SVP people in culture. And so there was the SVP who's my boss. Uh, we had a, uh, a sort of benefits and compensation person. 
we had a coordinator, me, uh, and uh, uh, the tech recruiter, and that's it. And so, uh, you know, there it was just really uh, understanding like, all right, well, what do we have in place? Oh, nothing. Uh, we have, you know, we have a, we have a, a, an applicant tracking system called the Resumator, uh, which eventually evolved to, to Jazz. Um, and uh, that was, at the time, in, in that tool's evolution, it was just a resume, resume repository, and we couldn't really use it for anything but storing resumes. So there was that. Uh, but the biggest thing that I noticed was that, you know, the, the company was using, especially engineering and product, they were using like, I don't know, anywhere between 10 to 12 agencies at any given point in time for recruiting, which was no surprise really, because they didn't really have an internal resource. And so when the tech recruiter came on board, I, you know, I had him in bed with uh, engineering and product uh, to really understand uh, and, and build trust with, with that group uh, so that they would, you know, s- sort of get away from using the agencies and start really leveraging the internal resources that they now had. And that was the first, that was the first thing that we did. Um, and I think after that, you know, a, a few months after that we hired, I brought on another uh, non-tech recruiter onto the team. And then the following year, you know, as we started to hire more and more people, I, I brought on some contractors. So, you know, it was really, at that point, John, it was really like, it was really about keeping up and learning how to keep up while you're learning about the business and understanding the stakeholder needs. Uh, you know, I was, uh, I was rolling my sleeves up and doing some recruiting myself. I was taking on more of the high level roles, interfacing with a lot of the C-level execs because they needed their, uh, leadership teams built out. So, um, it was a lot of that, uh, as well. And I think we, we really started to stabilize, I think, you know, after, uh, after we actually had, uh, so the, the guy that hired me uh, left and then uh, we hired a, a VP of people uh, who came on board. And so she had taken two other companies public. Uh, so she had uh, a lot of knowledge around, uh, uh, you know, what was needed and, and what we were going to be up against. And so uh, it was great to learn from her. Um, but you know, if you've ever been in a startup situation, it's long hours. And I remember like just, it was like 15 hour days, 16 hour days for the first two years I was there at least. How did you, I mean, it's a really common theme that we always hear is like, how do you balance keeping up with the day-to-day fires of like, we got to get interviews scheduled and offers out the door and all of those things. The hiring manager saying, I need somebody now, I need somebody now with the crucial but longer term thing of we have to build process and upgrade our technology stack and like how how did you balance those or how did you create space for yourself to not I, just fight fires all day? Well, you know, you know, you don't know what you don't know, and so that that experience was definitely a learning experience for me. In that, uh, you know, at some point the hiring was just so much that I you know I I had to hire a coordinator to do scheduling because all we were all doing our own scheduling. And so there, you know, when you think about, oh, what would you go back and do differently? I mean, you have to, you have to sort of shed different tasks because, uh, you know, my approach is even now I, I, I try to, 
I try to structure the team so that recruiters can really just focus on recruiting. Uh, and, and coordinators are, is such an underplayed role or an undervalued role on a team because they really are the glue, uh, that, that keeps everything running. Uh, and, and that was really one of the first lessons I learned. And so by the end of 2014, I, I got my coordinator on and it, and it, and it, and it definitely was a, a game changer inside of, you know, helping recruiters just focus on what mattered. And that's just you know, recruiting and ushering people through the process and closing candidates. How about operations? Did you, did you like, at what point do you, do you add a dedicated operations person? Cause I always think that's a key, mo- a key transition is when you do that and you're able to take all of that stuff off of the leader themselves. Yeah. I mean, you know, fast forward to fair. I mean, I never had an ops person when I was at Rubicon. What I did was I, I hired coordinators that were operationally astute. And so they, they played a dual role, right? Because uh, you you, you're, not, you're not necessarily going to have the budget to, to bring on an ops person, right? Because I think if you have, I think TA leaders sometimes tend to overspend when they're you know, a smaller company on stuff that they don't necessarily have the structures to support yet. And I think that uh, I was able to leverage coordinators for that. Now, when I joined FAIR, you know, we were at 710 employees and it's, it's a, it, it was a different situation where, you know, FAIR had been around three years. And so they were, you know, they were going to do something at some point, um, whether it's acquisition or, you know, be acquired or go IPO. And so it was a rocket ship. I mean, think about it. I, I talked to the greenhouse rep when I first got hired and we were at, like, the company was at 70 employees in Q4 of 2017, 710 in Q4 of 2019. That's 10x growth in two years, right? So, so like, I was a little confronted because I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to catch up to the business? But, you know, one of the first hires that I had planned on making was an ops person because there's no way that I was going to be able alone you know, to, to really put in place everything that needed to be put in place to, to really support the business growth. Um, now, as it happened, and this is widely reported, you know, we had a 40% layoff in Q, Q4 of last year. Um, you know, uh, the, the WeWork implosion, you know, really forced SoftBank to kind of reevaluate their uh, investment strategy. And we were one of their portfolio companies. And, you know, we came out on the other side of it, obviously, because we're still here. And they really believe in our in our business model, and and so, uh, you know, now it's I, I'm, where I'm at now is really ba- being back to uh, a similar stage where I was at at Rubicon Project, um, not not having to really dig the foundation and 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 put the posts in. Uh, we have you know we 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 redid the foundation here at Fair and and. Uh, we reconfigured greenhouse completely, uh, you know, and now we're we're on good footing. And I think that at some point I probably will hire an ops person. Um, I right. don't think we need one just yet. It's there. So there. I mean, there are two really good lessons that I just want to highlight that you said. I think one was for the smaller company who can't yet justify a full time ops person, getting that coordinator who's really comfortable with spreadsheets and kind of has fun working with the data. 
that person becomes worth their weight in gold. And it's like the difference between success and failure for the whole operation. I've seen it so many times. It, you know? Yeah. And not, not only that, John, but you have to look at it like, and I think that this is where other people kind of miss it is that it's not just like getting the, getting the talent on and somebody who can do the spreadsheets and stuff like that, but it's really a behavioral transformation for the whole team, right? Because if you really want to add value to the organization, like you've got to teach your team to be, you've got to hire people that are like this, but you've got to also, you know, make sure that your whole team is, is data and process driven. And those are, those aren't just things that you transform with, with tools and, and, and sort of putting the processes in place. It's a behavioral change too. Right. I mean, I think that's how we think of like this in this maturity curve. It's like the second tier of like inconsistent is characterized by like superhero recruiters, somebody who just like works their butt off and like makes it work. Um, and like that'll only take you so far. And at some totally. point you have to go through the shift that you're saying where it's like, you do. no, we all have to get systematic. And like, we're going to like, we're going to consistently work the same way so that everyone has shared expectations of how it's going to go. We're going to produce good data. We're all going to use the same tools. And that can be less fun for the kind of cowboy recruiter. who's doing. Well, it is. Thing. It was, it was definitely less fun. Yeah. It was definitely less fun. And I'll use my experience at Riot as an example for that, because when I joined Riot, uh, you know, if you remember, I said earlier, the function was very decentralized when I joined. And so the team that I was on, they were kind of doing their own thing. And, you know, the engineering team, uh, engineering recruiting team, uh, th they were a well-oiled machine. They still are. Um, and, you know, and they were, they had a lot of great processes in place, partly, and, and partly the reason why they were a well-oiled machine was uh, you know, the, the leadership, the engineering leadership was really leaning into recruiting and hiring. Um, the, the breakdown was that they had not scaled those best practices and processes across the rest of the organization, partly because, you know, they weren't, they were so decentralized. So I came on board and I learned, uh, you know, what, what those things were and I scaled them across to my team. Uh, you know, no need to reinvent the wheel. We need to align ourselves and all be working off the same sheet of music. Um, and I, and I commend my colleague, uh, you know, my colleagues on the, uh, on the engineering, uh, recruiting leadership team who, uh, who built what they built, um, because the team that I had to your point, right. Uh, you know, really kind of, uh, really good at filling jobs, uh, doing their own thing, doing it their own way. Uh, and making that switch was a difficult switch, right? Because I, you know, we all know this, you know, our, our profession has evolved to where it's very data driven, you know, and look, when I joined, I told you I joined back in 2000, you know, look, when I joined, we were still faxing resumes to, to, to clients and we were, you know, I had a Rolodex. So it was really about like being on the phone and making a ton of calls. Now it's like, you've got all this data that, you know, why wouldn't you leverage it uh, to, to maximize your performance? Okay, wait. I want to keep expanding on that in just a moment, but first we're going to take a quick break. You got it. Want to find out how effective your company is at hiring? Then you're ready to take the Greenhouse Hiring Maturity Assessment at greenhouse.io slash HMA. After you take the assessment, we'll send you specific ideas and strategies to help you move your company to the next level of hiring. Take the free five-minute assessment today at greenhouse.io slash HMA. Jem has had hundreds of conversations with talent acquisition experts over the past year. And across the board, one thing that stands out, 
Nearly every company is trying to figure out how to build more diverse teams. Gem knows you can't improve what you don't measure, and that's why they've added diversity analytics to their recruiting platform. Teams using Gem can automatically track gender, race, and ethnic representation within their hiring funnels, all the way from first outreach to hire. And Gem's diversity analytics helps identify bottlenecks in hiring pipelines to investigate any unconscious bias. Join thousands of top talent acquisition professionals in an effort to source, nurture, and hire underrepresented talent. Build diverse teams with Gem. Visit gem.com, that's G-E-M.com, to learn more. Okay, let's jump back into the conversation. I wanted to pick up, I, I wanted to pick up on one thread also that you said, which is that when you got to FAIR and you saw the growth that was in front of you, the lesson you learned is I'm bringing an operations person immediately <laughs> instead of waiting. And I think um, that's another theme I've heard from folks is uh, the mistake that new recruiting leaders make is they're like, I'll just get another recruiter. I'll just get another recruiter. And they wait a really long time before hiring that ops person, at which point that person comes in and has to break everything and make everybody start over. And the folks who have done this a few times, by the time you get to the third company, your first hire is the ops person and says, we're doing right. this correctly from day one. Well, right. Because, uh, you know, unless you're, unless you're coming into a scenario where you, the processes are already in place, you know, the dashboards are there, you, you're, you know, you, you have a system where you, you know, you can trust the integrity of the data then you know you, you you may not necessarily need to have that be your first hire uh but but in the situations that i've been i mean absolutely my previous my prior experiences uh certainly informed uh you know my my decision for that being needing to be my first hire for sure without a doubt another thread you opened that i wanted to ask about was you you kind of referenced at Riot, the engineering team, one of the advantages they had is like their business counterparts, the heads of engineering were super involved and engaged. And that made all the difference and allowed them to create this really high functioning team. I'm guessing at these various companies you've had, you've run into the opposite. Um, any techniques you've, you've had of like, how do you get those people kind of on your side and realizing what they need to do? Yeah, it was interesting. I think based on my experience and, and you know, colleagues, other leaders that I've talked to, I think generally speaking, I think that you'll, you may find that, you know, engineering or engineering and product teams will tend to lean into recruiting a little bit more uh, because it's easier for them to, uh, you know, adopt, uh, you know, uh, best practices, best process practices, right? Uh, it's easier for them to, you know, it's easier for you to have data-driven conversations with them, I think. Uh, and, you know, if I were to sort of distinguish my experiences, you know, at Rubicon Project versus where I'm at now at FAIR, I think that the engineering team at Rubicon Project when I, when I was there, I think they had been used to for, you know, six years working so long without an internal function that the challenge was, um, having them understand the value of an internal function. So there was an education piece there that, uh, that needed to happen. And, and that sort of that, that I think that, 
didn't have uh, our effectiveness. That didn't have our effectiveness maximized as fast as it would have had they just said, you know what, we have a little, we have limited frame of reference. We don't know what we don't know, but we want to be, we want to be taught, right? Now, fast forward to Fair, the team at Fair is very much like that. Uh, I think overall uh, speaking, uh, they are uh, they very much uh, the engineering product team very much lean into uh, hiring and. You know they 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 don't know what they don't know, and yet they are um, they they are still willing to challenge uh, my assumptions, which is awesome because I you know I I don't want I don't want to be regarded as someone who knows it all, uh, and uh, and I think that it's been a very good relationship so far because of that, and I think that that at that that willingness that interest uh, that ownership uh, has allowed. Uh, me and my team to implement things, uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot smoother and a lot faster. Yeah, it's it's interesting that there's definitely an ethic I've seen with a lot of engineering teams and product teams. To your point, is like the like the whole ethic of structured interviewing, where like you're essentially going to create an algorithm for how you run this process, and you're going to make it repeatable, and then you'll iterate on it over time to make it better kind of appeals to a lot of engineers. And so I've definitely seen a lot of teams where they're like, yes, that, that actually makes sense. This doesn't seem so arbitrary. It really does. And look, you know, I, I can get some of them who are, who will nerd out and like, you know, there's a, there's a study that was done in a partnership between Iowa state university and Michigan state where they took 85 years of, of hiring data. And, you know, the, there's, there is scientific studies around, why structured behavioral interviews work, right? Um, and and I, I nerd out over that stuff. Like I can talk, uh, I can talk about it. Like you know, for for a long time. And you get you get some stakeholders who have a similar interest, and you you know, I like to lock into that because not only is it uh, you can create a lot of great things in that kind of partnership. Um, other stakeholders across the business, whether even outside of product and engineering, will see, wow, they're 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 really they, they've got it going on. What are they doing over there? You know, and, and it was kind of like that at, at Riot, where, uh, you know, I think you I you know you you I had one stakeholder who, uh, was, you know, was that uh, I guess I'll say champion or that that strong partner. And you just leverage that, the successes that you have with one person, um, and that will help create more change across the rest of the organization. Because you'll get, you'll get managers that will resist. You'll get stakeholders that will resist non-tech groups like accounting and finance, right? Like, why do I need to do this? Why do I have to have a values interview? You know, oh, well, you know, and, and you, they'll not want to do it. But then, you know, you can point to engineering and product and say, well, they're, they're owning the hell out of it. And they, you know, they have a lot harder time finding the talent that they need, you know? So it's almost like, well, you really don't have an argument. I hate to say it. But. Yeah. That's ex- I mean, that's like what you just said is the exact story. I try to tell folks is, is a lot of people are like, God, I can never imagine my company working the way that you're describing. And say, so, Oh, you're going to do structured interviewing and everybody's going to prepare for these interviews and then fill out scorecards afterwards and actually submit them like soon after the interview make data-driven decisions and people say that'll never work at my company like you know there's this guy over he runs accounting and he's a jerk face he'll never do it and 
and I think your story is actually is actually is it is that arguing with that person is really hard and probably doesn't work. But when the engineering group is doing it, it's working great. And everyone's saying, oh my God, this is great. I'll never go backwards. That's really impactful. And that's how yeah. it spreads. Right? Yeah. And it sort of, it sort of has the, the, the resistant stakeholder manager sort of look like, why are you being an outlier on this? This is working. Like, just do it. Right. It's the peer pressure of another, another VP saying, what's wrong with you? It's more powerful than the recruiting team. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but, but, it, but it's true though, you know? And I think that, I think that it, it just goes back to John. It's that you know there's a lot of pressure within within startups or smaller companies that are experiencing that growth phase. There's just so much pressure, and I get it, right? I get it. Like you know, when CEO says, "Look, we need to hire, we need to get people on as fast as possible," you know, I, I think that they they most times give into that pressure. And I've heard so many founder CEOs talk about this. You know, the first thing they'll say is, "Culture is the most important thing to me." But then that's the thing that the that usually gets kicked to the wayside because their investors are putting so much pressure on them to grow and grow fast. To say, "We well, here, here's 15 million. How fast can you grow the company?" All right. Well, here's 30 million. How can you grow faster? And and I've seen how, um, especially like we've had the fortune of working with lots of hot companies, and and you can get away with it as a hot company because people want to work for you. You raise lots of money. You can pay lots of good salaries. It's famous. People use your product. Um, and so you can kind of get away with uh, taking the shortcuts and like just getting stuff, making your hires and not like kind of laying the foundation. And those always um, crack up terribly. And at some point, and everybody gets fired, you have to start over. Right. And it, and there, I think that's the reality of it, John. I think it always comes back to, to bite you. And it may not be right away. It may happen down the line. And the reality is like, you can, can you, can you be successful and and not do you know a lot of the things that you know some companies like google uh, does where you know if you've read work rules you know what their process is like right and they've been doing that for for a while even before lazo bot got there they they had a process because they were committed to having a particular culture within the organization right but if you don't, you know, if you don't do those things, can you still be successful and make a lot of money? Yeah, you can. Uh, and at some point, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it, it, the, it collapses in on itself in some way. Maybe the business doesn't collapse, but your culture might. Yeah. Let's, um, let's change gears for a second. Back to where you are today, casting your, your eyes to the future. What are what are you working on now? When you think when you think a year from now, how will you guys be higher on the maturity curve than you are today? What are the things that get you excited? Well, I'll tell you. I'm gonna. I'll talk to you a little bit about what we've done in the past year and and what what that will enable us to do in the next year. And and what we've done is we have put that structured behavioral interview process in place. Um, we've taken, uh, you know, uh, the the part of the process where we're screening for uh, values, right? And we've taken our fair values and we've aligned them with bars competencies. So now we, that's measurable. So we've put that into the process. So every person that we hire now is values aligned uh, and we can measure because everybody, regardless of the team in the organization is going through that same structured process. Uh, we're now, we now have a lot of data and a lot of data integrity around our effectiveness. 
Um, we just, uh, you know, we also just signed a contract with Tap Recruit to help us write, uh, 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 you know, job descriptions and create our messaging in a more inclusive voice because, uh, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion is, is definitely a big commitment for us. Um, and then, of course, all the great stuff that we're able to do at Greenhouse. Uh, you know, I, so what what we look to do next year is uh, focus uh, uh, more on employer branding. And so looking at different distribution points where we can build out our brand, whether it's built in L.A. or Glassdoor um, and, and, and create uh, our, our brand image in that same inclusive voice. And, and next year, starting to look at uh, what else do we need to, to structure and, uh, and be consistent with within the process? Uh, and that's our craft interviews. So we're already uh, building standardized craft interviews depending upon the functional role. And we're using engineering as the pilot group for that. Um, so that, that, that's kicking off now. And that's going to go into the whole next year where we will eventually end up with a library of craft interview kits. Um, the other thing that we're going to work on next year is continuing to operationalize um, and and create process process efficiencies. Um, I want to look to see uh, how we can automate uh, the scheduling process more uh, to shave down uh, uh, our time and process. Uh, and I also want to look at um, adding uh, adding another layer of screening within the process as it is now uh, around cognitive testing. Um, you know, uh, again, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big fan of, of, of what Laszlo did at Google. And, and so that's certainly driving some of what I'm doing now and, you know, reading different studies on how when you couple things like structured interviewing with cognitive testing, um, it really, uh, it really increases uh, your, your effectiveness of finding great talent. And so those are one, those are just a few of the things that I'm going to look to do next year. The, the through line for me is like all of those things are like, Obviously, sounds like good ideas, uh, kind of inarguable, and none of them are possible when you're in the firefighting mode. Like they're all kind of elevated things where it's like you couldn't think of any of those things if you're in firefighting mode where you're just trying to like get offers out the door. Now we can start to iterate and say, well, are these interviews actually working? Are we making the correct judgments? Can we add a test here and see? Does that give us more efficiency and better hires? Um, like it really is an elevated place where you guys are at. Well, I, and I, you know, I look, I credit uh, 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 Scott Painter and, and, and Lisa Russell uh, for, for hiring me because, you know, I, there, was a, there was a big commitment there. You know, I think uh, Scott especially, and he'll talk to you about this, I think that, you know, when he had TrueCar, you know, uh, he, he learned a pretty big lesson in that, you know, you really got to uh, you really do have to uh, pay attention to hiring uh, for culture, and if you just hire really uh, these athlete, these athletes, these mercenaries who are really awesome at, at doing their jobs, but you know they leave a lot of dead bodies in their wake, then that's a problem, you know. And uh, and I and I got their commitment during the interview process of how important really being effective at hiring was, and it still is, uh, you know, and. Uh, uh, I think that a big part of being successful in a role like this is creating transparency for the executive level and having them understand like, you know, how things are, are moving even on a week to week basis um, and being real with whether or not you're accomplishing your goals or not. And, and if you didn't, uh, what was it that stood in the way? 
and right now, you know, this year, you know, we're a lot of the data that we're gathering KPIs is, is benchmark data because the prior years, nothing was really being measured because either it, either it wasn't being measured or there were no consistency within process. Right. It's interesting. I mean, back to your, your point about those folks that hired you. I remember sitting with early in the days of Greenhouse, I'm sitting with a whole bunch of other uh, startup founders and people are talking about when do you start investing in people practices? When is it, um, become really important? When do you get really explicit about your culture? And all the first-time founders were saying much later than all the second and third-time founders who were like, uh, at two people, you need to start worrying about that. <laughs> it's already too late. Like, And other folks are like, oh, wait till 100 people. It's like, no. <laughs> like, you got to figure this out early. Um, cool. I think we're running out of time. Let's move to the <laughs> it lightning goes round. so fast. Yes, lightning Doesn't round. It, we could talk about this for a while. Okay. Oh, all day. We're doing a lightning round. Um, favorite HR tech tool other than Greenhouse? I would have to say uh, my ally. Uh, and, and for those uh, who, who don't know what it is, it's, an, uh, it, it's a tool that allows you to automate scheduling. And uh, we used it to great effect at Riot Games. And uh, uh, I, I love the way that you can, uh, uh, that it integrates with Greenhouse. And you can also... Uh, brand it with, uh, you know, your company branding and your and your company's voice. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm excited to explore that and implement it here at Fair. Cool, oh, that's a good tip. Um, how about biggest mistake you'll never make again? Never uh, uh, telling telling an executive who you've just met. I think you're wrong. <laughs> Can you share the story? Come on, share the story a little bit. Well, you know, uh, that was, uh, that was the subtext I'm sure, uh, because I, I, I didn't necessarily say that, but when I was working in agency early on in my career, uh, I, uh, you know, I was trying to get into a, a large corporation account and I was getting stonewalled by the head of the department big time. And I ended up going around and trying to get some allies within the organization to help me get inside. You know, when I got on the phone with the, you know, stakeholder, uh, he was none too happy about that, and he was none too happy about me saying, "Well, no, I, th- I really do think this is the way you should go. I, I don't think that you should not use me." And the con, you know, and and summarily, he just said, "Okay, this conversation's over," <laughs> and hung up on me. So, yeah, <laughs> maybe a more deft way to handle that. Okay, how about? <laughs> How about biggest mistake you'll definitely will make again? That one was a hard one for me. One of the things that I learned at Rubicon Project was uh, one of the company values is mistakes are okay. And if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. And if you're not making mistakes, you're not moving fast enough. I think that if it answers this question, I'm I'm never going to be afraid to make mistakes. And that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned. I think that's a good answer. Yeah. Go with that. Okay. How about a piece of advice for anyone who's becoming a head of recruiting for the first time? Always think about the foundation that you're building. And your job really is about not just the relationships that, you're, that you build as the functional leader. Uh, it's also really about like gaining alignment a- across the organization. What I mean when I say that is uh, it's, it's really about stakeholders, hiring managers, are wanna, they're going to have a goal or they're going to do things a particular way. 
certainly you want to do your best to lead off with a yes. And sometimes it's just not doable. And so you may have different stakeholders who have competing objectives or they have expectations that are not uh, within your wheelhouse to be able to fulfill on. And you've got you've to learn to manage that and get alignment on what's possible. And I think that that, as a TA leader, I think that that's, you know, that can be one of your biggest yeah. superpowers. Yeah. That's good advice. And last one, it's a recruiting podcast. So I asked, tell me about the hire you're most proud of. Um, there's actually two hires that I'm, I'm most proud of, and both were just in a similar situation. One, the first one was when I was working in agency, and I and I uh, uh, I brought on a I recruited a, a designer who uh, I think that uh, I got pushed I kept getting pushback from probably one of the top design firms in Cleveland when I was there. Uh, they didn't they didn't they didn't want this person. Um, and I kept pushing and they ended up bringing her on board and they kept her for a very long time. Uh, I'm proud of it because, and the, the second person is a similar hire where, uh, again, uh, manager didn't want, uh, the, you know, person X, uh, I kept pushing forward and they hired that person and they ended up making a big impact in the organization. And what, what the similarity is in both instances is I, you know, I, I had that feeling in my gut. I had that feeling in my gut, like, no, you're not seeing what I'm seeing in this person. And if you just take a moment uh, to to really open up about it, you're going to be surprised. And they were. Yeah. It's getting people to see beyond their first impressions to like, there's something there. And there's so much bias in our in our profession. It's hard to have people do that, you know. That's right. So that's why when you, when you see it happen, you get over that bias and you're right. And you realize I just discovered someone that everybody else would have missed. Mm-hmm. It feels really good, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, well, I think we'll end there. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. That was super fun. Uh, you're welcome, John. This has been great. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hiring Maturity Success Stories on the Greenhouse Podcast, Hiring for What's Next. Wondering how to start optimizing your own company's hiring? Take the Greenhouse Hiring Maturity Assessment now at greenhouse.io HMA. Don't miss a moment of hiring for what's next. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for the latest episodes.